I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes ebay motors is here for the ride elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own led headlights spoilers whatever you need ebay motors has it at affordable prices and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply A long time ago, there was a land of fantasy and joy and weird fat dudes that all got together in basements and shared their silly stories about girls in chainmail bikinis. (laughs) But one man arose from that miasma. And redefined the culture as we know it. Stephen King? No. (laughs) It was not Stephen King. Stephen King did too much cocaine to be fat. Ah, yes, that is right. No, that man was George R.R. Martin. What? And this week on Wizard and the Bruiser, we will tell his story. I'm the wicked wizard, Jake Young. And I'm the stinky, sweaty bruiser, Holder McNeely, <laughs> and I have never been more covered in sweat and ready to talk about George R. Martin. And we have two sweet-ass guests this week. Our first ever podcast guest, and we couldn't have better ones. Yep. Because uh, from the Drunks and Dragon podcast, the Geekly Inc. Empire. crossover It's Tim Lanning and Jennifer Cheek. How you doing? Uh... Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I didn't yeah. realize we were the first guests. Now I'm a million more times sweaty. I feel so honored. Yeah. This, uh, uh, I also yeah, want to is... mention, uh, we didn't throw this out to you before, but we also do a Game of Thrones podcast. That's, that's yes. our bona fides yeah, for this. Yeah. Yes. It's called uh, uh, Cast of Thrones. Go on the net. It's there. It's very Cast good. Yeah. Cast of Thrones? Cast mm-hmm. of Thrones. It's a good early Game of Thrones podcast. Bad SEO or Google alert. So I get a lot of uh, Conan interviews and things that like makes that. Sense. So it's the, you're the perfect guest to have for this episode on uh, really uh, we're, we're focusing on the first book. So I'm going to go ahead and say there will be spoilers. They will happen. They'll only be around the first book. So if you've read the first book, you're fine or seen yeah. the first season of the show or like uh, or live in a cave. <laughs> yeah. You will, you will, you will, uh, you will uh, be uh, protected. We'll say, we'll say, spoiler alert for you, dear Holden McNeely. I have been, I have never been more offended that you would dare spoil the single most popular TV show in the yeah. world history, as well oh as a series of best-selling books that I have From never like heard of until this day. And, and, and someone is literally reading on public transportation at any, at every second of exactly, the exactly, exactly. <laughs> we uh have been podcasting about Game of Thrones since the the television program since the beginning and oh my god the the extreme hate that people will give you at in, anything close to a whisper of a spoiler oh man here's a spoiler the um the chapter titles in the in the book are character titles so people like yell at us because <laughs> our episode titles are like Aria 2 to Davos 3 and like what? You can't tell me that. I'm like all right. Listen, you need to calm down. <laughs> the Lord the Lord needs you. So a, a lot of times we like to start our episodes by by just merely discussing like our, our personal experience mm-hmm. with with the uh whatever medium we're talking about okay. and and um for me personally uh, I remember my friend and I think in high school my buddy Ben Epps I'm name dropping he uh <laughs> he was like you have to read this. You have to get into this is amazing uh it's called game of thrones it's a song of ice and fire you're gonna love this book um and Wait, I'm what just, year was this i don't this was back i think i was in high school middle middle or high school so like early 2000s like he was on the pulse of it yeah he like wow. knew well way That's really before impressive. The, That's right and um 
I think at least the first couple books had already been out, if not the first like few. Either way, uh, I was uh, I just straight up called him. Uh, 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 or I just straight up said no. <laughs> I said I'm not into fantasy books. It, it's it's kind of bizarre. I didn't get into fantasy till a lot later. I think I yeah. read you know uh lord of the rings in like college and that was kind of my first foray and he was always trying to get me to read fantasy and sci-fi and i was like no i mean i like literature my name's holden i like catcher the ride megan is looking I at me hate like young holden <laughs> i know i was the worst i listened to jazz music i was the worst Ugh. i was the worst i mean you're literally your name say holden caulfield like oh, okay there you go. all right I, I was yeah, I was a big catch in the rye guy. So I, I hate me too. You definitely gave me a copy of Catch in the Rye when we were in Catch in the Rye. I didn't know that Deepak liked it a lot too. It's not my fault. You don't understand what it's like to wear hats and hate everything. <laughs> but then, people are phonies, Jennifer. God <laughs> But then later on in life, uh, uh, actually after I had moved up here, I remember my roommate Cap. Uh, he was like super into the book series. I think the show was about to come out. And for some reason, something clicked in me. And I was just like, I need to give this thing a shot. I don't know why, but I did. And I was immediately hooked. Um, it's weird because I feel like when you read the books and, or watch the show, it's like this weird abusive relationship. Like it keeps pushing yeah. you away with the choices that it makes. But you keep, I've had friends. I know Marcus Parks uh, told me the story of when he got to a certain part in one of the books that I think we all probably it's know what part it is. We yes. all have a story about it. on the subway and he literally threw the book onto the floor. <laughs> and he yeah. just was like, I'm out. I'm done. And it took him like a week before he could read anymore. Like yeah. literally, yes. pretty common reaction yeah. to that part. And there's a couple parts that we could there's two parts which we could probably be talking about maybe yeah. three or four yeah. who's to say that's yeah, true one real main yeah one. yeah exactly anyway. right so so anyways uh I, I mean i was just super into it and then uh when i met my now fiance lexi uh when we had just gotten together the show had just started and i was like you got to check this out and that has started this like uh just intense kind of relationship that kind of happened between us and the show where now we just religiously watch it and everything oh, yeah. so anyways that's kind of my uh my deal um jake um i mean i only started reading the books because the tv show got popular and i literally could not wait a week between episodes <laughs> like i needed to be in this world more and i ended up reading the first book devouring it and really loving it and uh this is this is gross. This is a really gross statement, but I feel like a lot of people listening are going to agree with me. As the as you read deeper into the books, it became it, all of a sudden it clicked. It was like, oh man, these pretty good books are ruining my favorite amazing TV show. <laughs> so I'm going to just like cut it off. Yeah. But, but that first book was amazing, Holy and that shit. first yeah. book is really revolutionary. The way that it like combines genres in ways that like we hadn't seen before where mm -hmm. uh, like just having a setting be like medieval fantasy, but actually go into like a fake historical fiction of right. how sucky the medieval ages were. Right, right. <laughs> how it was Without... just like the shittiest time to be alive <laughs> or a person. Oh yeah, yeah. It, especially since it focuses on all the people that theoretically should have a better go of it. And it's like, oh, let's not even talk about the people that really, really get fucked up. Yeah, when you get a slight glimpse of like peasant life, oh, like, oh, oh no, 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 oh, no, thank you. <laughs> it's like, this is what's happening to the people with like millions of dollars. Yeah. M my lord sent sent gods over here and they they covered me daughter in, in shite. Yeah, <laughs> they just I mean, like, probably. Yeah, man, if you're a farm daughter, you you're you, you're gonna get taken. You just <laughs> gotta kill yourself. Yeah. You just gotta take yourself out. It's just, just so terrible to think about. Like I guess ancient mums had to just be like, listen, you're going to get snatched, <laughs> and when I will never see you grow old and you know whatever. I'll never have grandchildren. Well, I will have it, but from my son, who not that son, the fifth son. The fifth one. That, that's the only one that survived. The uh, pox. Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> and now Tim and Jennifer. What was your, uh, when did you guys become thronies? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Is that they're what called they're called? Gamers. Yeah, gamers. Yeah. Gamers? Oh, okay. That's what that word yeah, is. Yeah, that's what gamers, you've always heard the, the phrase gamers. And that's that what means, it means avid readers uh, and lover uh, of books. Well, I feel like you are the one that got me to read them, but it didn't take a lot of work because I've always been a huge fantasy mm -hmm. fan for like I was in like middle school reading like Redwall books like before I yeah. like hiding from my mom and like reading Redwall before I could go to right. school in the morning. And isn't Redwall essentially a song of ice and fire uh, but for mice? Yes. <laughs> Honestly, it really is. It. Nice. Um, There's like 18 really... different mice-based medieval 
franchises out there. <laughs> oh <my>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was in my last semester of grad school and she was like, you should read this book. And I'm like, literally anything that's not grad school sounds great to me. Hell yeah. I'm going to read this right now. Yeah. And, uh, similar to probably a lot of folks, I had heard about the books and for whatever, I mean, there's a million books out there I've heard. So it's hard to pick which one you want to go for. Uh, so I just, and plus the old book covers are real, real fantasy. So yeah, yeah. I didn't really always grok with that, even though at that time I was reading World of Warcraft novels, <laughs> but this is definitely a step up from that. I would say, yes, it goes a song of ice and fire. Then the entire works of war, World of Warcraft. Well, it, makes, it makes a uh, lot of sense because, you know, both are based in Tolkien and while, uh, George R. R. Martin was like, what if we add a layer of realism and relatability? Yeah. Blizzard was like, what if we add bigger shoulder pads? Yeah, bigger, <laughs> bigger beef hands and things like that. So <laughs> I, I I read the first book bef before the um, show came out because basically some various podcasters I liked back then were like, this is my shit. Everyone get ready. It's going to be great. And so I finished the first book a, a, a pretty good chunk before the show came out. And I think I maybe finished the second book. I'm not too sure. Um, but before the end or before the start of the second season, I had pretty much read everything. Uh, Dance with Dragons came out right. Oh yeah. Close to when Jennifer and I finished uh, book four. Th that mm. was, that was crazy because I, I have such vivid memories as we had just moved into our apartment together together for the first time and Tim, I didn't it's have a job one. yeah and I didn't have a job at the time and Tim did have a job so I was like laying like staying up in bed like reading yeah. the Dance of Dragon while he was asleep like, and like gasping and he'd be like what like, go to sleep you just gave me this memory. I forgot all about this. I was temping when I was reading Dance of Dragons, and I got to this place. It was this one of the worst jobs ever. I was, it was an accounting temp job in the basement of a hotel, so there's no windows or anything. And when I got there, they were like, oh, we don't have your computer set up, and um, so just do your thing while we while we get that set up. Well, that lasted a week. It took them, in, in proper temp fashion, it took IT a week to get me set up with the computer, so I literally would show up into this basement and read that book for seven hours a day and then oh, and then and get paid go home. for it yeah and got paid for it that's something out of soviet russia <laughs> it shouldn't happen in our god's united states well you can't yeah. talk <laughs> you can't talk about game of thrones without talking about the man george rr R. martin that mm -hmm. sexy beard those omnipresent suspenders you know the man <laughs> i'm surprised to see that he was born in bayonne new jersey and um poor as fuck too well that's um that's in interviews he talks about his childhood as being like especially like small and kind of a closed off that like you know uh his parents couldn't afford to drive him to school he uh you know his dad was a longshoreman and like uh, Bayonne was like an industrial. I mean, I'm sorry, New Jersey. I'm sorry. Yeah. Bayonne <laughs> is an industrial it. waste zone of the damned. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine Mordor, but with like even shittier architecture. And that's that's how he got all of his ideas for all those goblins and things <laughs> in his book. But there's beachfront property and, and that's nice. Yeah, it's kind of nice in Jersey by the beach, but for the most part, you know, all the jokes are made, yada, 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 but Jersey is kind of a rough sort of well, trash Northern place. Industrial Jersey was not a very <laughs> vibrant place to grow up and especially when he didn't get to travel around a lot. Yeah. So he looked towards comic books and fantasy right. and science fiction as his escape. Yes, that was yeah. sort of that, that was his taste of the bigger world. Yes. And isn't that so true with us nerds, isn't it? We're so oh, we're man. so creative and <laughs> and when the the earth tries to shove us down by doing terrible things like I don't know, making us live in New Jersey, we just <laughs> we just create that into art. And that's really brave. No, he literally us, really. talks l about living in Bayonne as if that was his like childhood accident <laughs> that like I do blinded know one him. Thing that's kind of interesting, like as far as like you know George R. R. Martin's like childhood and things. It's something that I like really identify with him on is that he you know obviously read a lot as a child, um, and, and it's come up in interviews that he doesn't care about pronunciation of stuff. Oh, yeah. Game of Thrones very much. And he's like, listen, I was huh. that kid that read a ton as as a child, and I didn't know how things were pronounced because no one ever said the words around me, and so I don't. Fuck! How you? Can I say? Can I cuss? I don't know. Oh, like crazy! You can say fuck. You can say dick. You can say ass. You can say shit. No, stop. You can say butt, lord, piss, ass. You can say anything. So many things. There's once where you're not allowed to say, but we won't tell you what it is. Yeah, we won't tell you what it is though. If you can find it, you will win one million dollars. It's gamer. They said it. 
but yeah, so like he doesn't really care how you pronounce things. And I, was, and I like have like a very traumatic story from my from my youth of, of that happening. I was in a, a, a quiz bowl tournament and they asked who the families were and, and Romeo and Juliet. And I said, Capulet and Montag. And they counted it wrong, which I thought mm, was really what? rude. Because I didn't you. know. That's I was in eighth worst. grade. <laughs> I always say, my, my fiance does the more the, the audible. So uh, she's always yeah. uh, it, explaining to me what things actually are, how things are supposed to be pronounced. Uh, like uh, uh, quaff. Or or a quoth right in um oh what you call it uh, uh, uh yeah the um the wise man's fear name of the wind that. yeah yeah and, and wise yeah. man's fear um second book why do I use that one I don't I just, it's also awesome um <laughs> uh, I, I will warn you the audible books are not canon. So For pronunciation. Yes. Well, nothing's canon. Everything's canon. Damn. <laughs> uh, this is another interesting fact about uh, his early childhood is that uh, he, uh, his mother did not send him to the Catholic school that uh, a lot of his neighbors were going to. Uh, she thought that the smaller class size would benefit him with more attention, but this caused immense rifts in his community, and the priest actually threatened to send his family to hell for not to, for being like what? the one holdout. Uh, I just as I mentioned that like it's an Irish Italian neighborhood that uh, just you know was very strictly divided on religious lines, and this maybe inspired the story of Westeros, which also involves almost indiscernible white people arguing over bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts writing and selling monster stories for pennies to neighborhood kids, and even doing dramatic readings about them. I, I, one thing in particular was great. He was writing uh, stories about um, uh, his pet turtles in a mythological kingdom. Yeah. And um, Wait, turtles? It comes back to turtles? It comes back to turtles, and yeah. because the turtles kept kept dying all the time. He had to write all of these sinister plots in where they're killing each other, and right. that's where the all this shit came from. <laughs> yeah. A bunch it's of so dead turtles. When you take the horrific murder that is A Song of Ice and Fire, and it's just you know, sad George R. R. Martin hanging out with his turtles. You'd be like, I must go back and whisper to my turtles. <laughs> I know two things. I know how the War of the Roses go, and I got these turtles. Let's do it. And they keep on dying. And they keep on dying. <laughs> his schoolyard chumps kept referring to the green wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and what an amazing twist it was. So uh, he's also just a giant, giant fan of Marvel comics and Marvel superheroes. And actually his first published work was a letter, letter to... Uh, to the editor for uh, Fantastic Four issue number 20 is, is uh, w which one it ran in November 1963 um, and Stan Lee actually responded cut 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 crossover we did an episode on Stan Lee um, oh yeah yeah I mean he was definitely part of the Mar mighty Marvel marching society he was the exact kind of fan that Stan Lee was kind of reaching out to and uh and nurturing with, and that's kind of what made Marvel its own thing. I love how this letter's written. Jake is going to do a reading of it for us as, <laughs> as, as a Everyone young George R. R. Martin. Okay, hold on. I got to get in character as George R. R. Martin. I'm overweight. I'm <laughs> nasally. I wear a dumb hat. I got it. Mm. Okay, I think I got it. He is a, wow. Oh my God. <laughs> Dear Stan and Jack, I'm eight years old. Uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy number 17 was greater than great. Even now I sit in awe of it, trying to do the impossible. That is, describe it. It was absolutely stupendous. The ultimate, utmost. I cannot fathom how you could fit so much action into so few pages. It will live forever as one of the greatest FF comics ever printed. Ergo, as one of the greatest of all comics. In what other comic mag could you see things like a hero falling down a manhole? What? <laughs> Wish they hadn't invented yet. Yeah. So it was, it was a heroine mistaking a toy inventor for a criminal and the president of the USA leaving a conference that may determine the fate of the world to put his daughter to bed. The epic story, spectacular and exciting as it is, is not all that made this mag so great. The letter column was top-notch, too. I nearly died when I saw Paul Gambaccini's letter. You've really made him change his tune. That letter was a far... Oh, now he's just going into details from other final uh, Fantastic Four letter Yeah, pages. by the way, you did say Final Fantasy at the very beginning instead of Fantastic Four, just out of habit. It was, it was adorable. Uh, it's, it's kind yeah, of I got really excited that he was like into like anime shit too. Like, yeah, hell yeah, weave it up, George. <laughs> uh, yada, yada, yada. Stan responds. Do you want to just skip to that or? Uh, yeah, yeah uh, okay. You were just 
you were just oh wait hold on this is some real nerd shade okay uh you were just about the world's worst mag when you started but you <laughs> set yourself an ideal and by gumbo you achieved it that is George, the biggest like George. nerd well, troll move is like haven't changed he, ne- he just negs so stan lee and jack kirby <laughs> the balls on this kid uh <laughs> Why, if you were only half as good as you are now, you'd still be the world's best mag. Sincerely, George R. Martin, because he wasn't uh, confirmed yet, so he just had the one R. Yep, just had the one R. George R. Martin, 35 East 1st Street, Bayonne, New Jersey. Because back in those days, Marvel Comics would just give out a child's home address. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fucking crazy. I'm, I'm sad. I, I don't have a lot of friends. Here's my address. Uh, hi, guys. I'm very alone. This is where I live. Uh, which, in response, Stanley responded, We might as well quit while we're ahead. Thanks for your kind words, George. And now it's time for our favorite department where we talk to you straight from the, what? From the shoulder. I don't know. Uh, and then it leads into another segment. Mysterious. Wow. <laughs> Excelsior. So... He gets so into this stuff that he starts writing fanfic. I mean, probably mm-hmm. also from his letters, I think this was just one of the first letters he wrote. He got others uh, through and uh, other fans started reaching out to him because they give out the address. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was like the <laughs> earliest form of like pre-internet fandom where they were all just uh, reaching out to each other like, you're also really into this, <laughs> you know? So, and they all started writing fan fiction and stuff. And he actually wins an Alley Award for best fan fiction for his prose superhero story power man versus the blue barrier and the alley award actually is a a crazy like fandom award uh show that was created through um this magazine called alter ego and they would give out awards each year not only to the comic books that they were uh, most appreciative of but also to the fanfic they were most appreciative of and it was nuts like that i i you know, I mean, I feel like that's almost its own episode, like how fan fiction even came yeah. about. But, I mean, it was even happening back here in, oh, yeah. you know, the mid-60s. I mean, if you yeah, had... That's well, that's no- like, it kind of started with Star Trek, right? I mean, maybe, I'm sure it didn't start with, but that was like when it became really a thing, like people writing fan fiction for Star Trek. And maybe like... But I, yeah, I, I just newsletters and zines. Basically, uh-huh. if you had a song in your heart and a mimeograph machine, you <laughs> found a way to get in contact with other people. Because really, people, I mean, these are like the most excited people to be doing this because, oh, yeah. you know, back, you know, it wasn't really until the internet when fanfic, I feel like, really kind of exploded and, and became like a household term that everyone oh, knows. Oh, for sure. I feel like the live journal era that's. Mm-hmm. And, and now we've all moved on to archive of our own. Not that I know anything about fan fiction at all. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, stop. <laughs> but uh, something happened where uh, for a school pro, he talks about this. He talks about how as a uh, as a younger man, he did a school project where you had to write about your ideal job. And mm-hmm. so he looked up fiction writer huh. and found out that the average fiction writer back in the 60s and 70s made uh, $1,200 a year. Wow. Which drastically cut his ambitions (laughs) towards that. And he just kind of uh, uh, decided to study journalism. Yes, at Northwestern University in Illinois. And he ended up getting his master's as well in journalism at Northwestern. Um, And uh, he avoids the draft. Uh, He gets uh, conscientious objector status. He doesn't have to go to Vietnam, thank God, because he probably would have gotten, he would probably be the most easily exploded on the battlefield, (laughs) I think. Just like a lobber grenade at that guy. Uh, he had his, on his helmet, just a turtle. And, <laughs> and uh, he, it, and I didn't know this about him. He was an expert chess player. And so Ooh. he was like writing as much as he could, but also getting money by running tournaments. Um, uh, for uh, the Continental Chess Association from 1973 to 1976, but you know he's just not pulling in enough money and ends up. He, uh, oh, this is this is another thing. I've been doing nothing but listening to this guy talk about his own life all week. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot, like I mean, a lot about it. The best interviews are when before the show becomes a hit. And people are like, uh, like, so what's the deal with this TV show? And he's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it got option, nothing, you know, nothing serious yet. What I really want to talk about is this novella I wrote. <laughs> um, but uh, he uh, could not. He had a master's degree in journalism from Northwestern University, which, and like, that's good. That yeah. is a good thing. 
but the publishing industry had a massive downturn that year ah. and he could not get a job. So he ended up working, uh, you mentioned it, the Cook County Legal Assistance Foundation, which is a job he had as a high school student. Oh, and no. even then, they couldn't oh. pay him as much as they did back when he was a high school student. Oh, man. <laughs> and so realizing that, like, you know, even taking into account uh, that, you know, that he took the safer path and not following his dreams as a fiction writer, he decided that, like, well, F it, I better just follow my dreams then, which I feel like a lot yeah. of young creatives in this economy is currently uh, yeah. dealing with. Um, yeah, remember that, kids. Whatever you do is going to fail, so figure out something cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he started uh, sitting down and kind of muscling through and forcing himself to write fiction. Uh, he ended up writing seven stories uh, through the summer of 1971 after he got out of school. Yes. And eventually, it took a couple years, but every one of those stories he ended up selling to an anthology series or a sci-fi magazine. Now, the first one, the first sci-fi short story that he got published was actually in 1970 at age 21. It's called The Hero. It was sold to Galaxy Magazine. And uh, here's the plot right here. The story involves a soldier who is seeking retirement from his military life and hoping to live a more exciting life on Earth. His superior officer, however, does not want him to retire and tries to encourage him to re-enlist, but Kagan is adamant that he will not. The officer finally realizes that bluffing, tricks, and encouragement will not convince Kagan to stay on. He finally agrees to his request, but his request is not fulfilled, as it is promised, as our hero is boarded on a ship and killed. There you go. So he went dark pretty quick. It yeah, seems like. he was pretty much immediate. Well, yeah, he went dark back with his pet turtles because you yeah. know I think there was some funny business going on there. All right, I don't think they all just died from fucking old age. You know what I'm saying? I am trying to wrap my head around that. That like this guy is basically like fantasy Santa Claus. Yes, but yeah. his stories are like super dark. Yes, absolutely. Um. Yeah, so he gets that. Uh, he 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 starts to get some success. He's uh, what he was. Uh, he was teaching English and journalism at Clark University. Um, but he had he met a, he met his wife uh, at ah, a con. Really, uh, first Ooh. wife. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, He also, uh, he was a writer in residence there, which is something I've never even heard of, but I guess that's a thing that you can do. Um, And in 1977, he gets a reality check because his friend and fellow author, Tom Remy, uh, passes away. And um, that's what kind of makes him say, you know what, I I need to cut the shit, quit fucking around, and go full on writer, you know? Essentially, yeah, no more women, no more drugs, no more women, (laughs) no more teaching jobs, no more cocaine, no more Doobie Brothers concerts. He then divorces (laughs) his wife, (laughs) no more goddamn turtles, (laughs) and he had to get out of the cold, so he moves to Santa Fe in 1979. Um, uh, along the way, he did get some stuff published. Uh, his first novel, Dying of the Light, is published in 1977. It's drawn from Dylan Thomas's poem about his uh, dying father, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Um, it takes place on a dying rogue planet, Warlorn, that has some life on it. All the characters are dying, and everybody's dying, and everybody is dead. <laughs> he it's, dead. It's literally like about a planet, a dying planet where everybody on it is dying. It's like I don't know what this says about me, but I like you read that description, and I'm like, I want to read that. That sounds good. That sounds like what I want. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I get. I mean, there's throughout the '70s and the '80s, um, he's just going to be an active part of the science fiction world. Yeah, like he's go- he's just going to be part of that convention, anthology, magazine uh, world, which was thriving, and like you know, Hugo Awards and fantasy yes. and sci-fi. It's like. Uh, well, uh, uh, you guys were into into fantasy novels and stuff. Like, what were what were like some of the classics of that era? Uh, like when? Oh my gosh! Like again, I was like very into the the red wall thing, but I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember like half the shit that I read in middle school and high school. Yeah, I I, I was raised deeply religious, so I wasn't <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to read any of <laughs> oh, that. So you, but oh, that's so great! And now you do Drunks and Dragons, which is like a, a evil devil worshiper. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah, we are definitely exactly. going to hell. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really remember when it, it was published, but the like Dragonlance books were yeah. a pretty big deal. Like, for... What is it like Alana series? Like, I mean, there's the sort of yeah, 
I haven't read a lot. Of, see, the thing is, like, when you discover the stuff late in life, you don't realize what's old necessarily right. versus what's new. So there's like stuff that's like the Black Company, which I think was made in like the '80s, was, yeah. But maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I'm was sorry. Was Wheel of Time that? Oh that yeah, right. yep, 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 yep. See, that's another one I didn't read until later. But yeah. yes, that is the sort good. of truth. Mm. I think. Um, so during during this time, he is the uh, Southwest Regional Director of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> and he later becomes the Vice President from 96 to 98. Um, they vote for the Nebula Awards. A lot of awards getting thrown around, mm-hmm, by the mm-hmm. way. There's just so much of that going on. These, these fantasy sci-fi writers love to congratulate each other. Uh, there is, uh, but, but the uh, Sci-Fi and Fantasy Writers of America, their uh, organization of professional sci-fi and fantasy writers, they're kind of there to sort of help other writers out, protect their interests. They actually got a lot of notoriety shortly after they were founded in 1965 Mm. because they were the ones that fought for J.R.R. Tolkien to get fair uh, money uh, in uh, the American pirated sales of Lord of the Rings. Oh, well, you know that that story, right? About Lord of the Rings. Uh, the only reason Lord of the Rings got huge was that there was a trademark lapse, and so pirate copies could finally be published. Oh, oh God! <laughs> because before that, he would only let these like very hoity-toity, hardcover, gilded, like you know, map illustrated versions be released. And like that trademark huh. lapse is what finally got like dog-eared paperback copies into the college dorm rooms of America. <laughs> mm. Wow! Thank you, I didn't pirates. Know that. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, uh, he also, I love that he did, he organizes with his uh, uh, fellow writer editor Gardner Dozo Dozois. He organizes the first Hugo Losers Party, oh. which was uh, <laughs> is a yearly thing for all the losers of the Hugo Award. They all get oh together and, and and throw a big uh, shindig for each other, um, which I think I, is pretty I great. I like hear an interview with George R. R. Martin talking about like tell me about like con shit, like old con yeah. stuff. Yeah, like the smell of cigarettes and like maybe whiskey. How many orgies did they have? You know yeah. they oh, had. Oh, yeah. 70s like, era nerds. I can't yeah. imagine. Oh, my God. They were all boning Pre- each other. HIV convention. Are you kidding me? Dude, he was, <laughs> the, he, was the fir- he was one of the first people to register for, um, like, a very, like, one of the first Comic-Cons in New York City in 1964. The legend is he was the first. There's, like, confirmation. That's so nuts. Let's- I love it. What a nerd. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It, 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 he's such a goddamn nerd. I love it. It's amazing. They haven't even gotten into the role-playing game shit. <laughs> no, yeah, this is the, okay, this is the core that got me like swimming in nostalgia is like, you know, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, Robert yeah. Heinlein, all that stuff. Like all this, when you think of old school sci-fi, like George R. R. Martin was just running through it. Like he was part of that world. And now like as an old fan, like he gave birth to the next generation, basically. Right, exactly, Damn. exactly. I kind of want to check out his novel uh, that he published in 1983, his vampire novel called oh. called Fever Dream. It's set on a riverboat in 19th century uh, Mississippi. Uh, it looks really cool. It was like kind of um, right before he sort of went off to Hollywood. Um, the book that he came out with after that was called The Armageddon Rag. And story has it, um, actually, he says it himself. Where is this quote right here? He essentially says that it was just a, well, you know, I can't find it, but he essentially just says it was a horrible disaster and essentially uh, got him to give up writing for like a while. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Oops. this crazy mystery fantasy novel about former hippie novelist Sandy Blair becomes involved on the investigation of a brutal murder of rock promoter Jamie Lynch. And what I love is that um, it also focuses on a rock group called Nazgul. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, I don't know which story this is, uh, but apparently part of his early, like, uh, 70s uh fantasy sci-fi run of stories and books uh he used the word githyanki to describe <gasps> an alien species which uh. through like sh- like uh, it's one of those things where like even the guy who like like quote unquote stole it just says i wasn't thinking vaguely remembered the name and ended up using it but uh githyanki is a race in final f- in bah! Oh, Dungeons God. and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> I got Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy on 17. the brain. What's going on with you, man? It's a million <laughs> degrees it. in here, and I've lost five liters of body moisture. What is your favorite Final Fantasy? Uh, I, I like I like I like four. Okay, four's a good one. I played it on my DS back when I was young and impressionable. <laughs> <laughs> I like twelve and eight. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go with well, I have to say seven and um, probably three. Enjoyed 15 though. Thought it was a fun romp. <laughs> yeah, I like the ones with the hot people in it, so that's all of them, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm waiting to lose my job so that I can play 15 more. <laughs> so I can beat Persona, and then I'll do fun. Oh my god, I'm I'm working on Persona 5 right now. I'm on hour 100. Seriously. I'm on hour 100. <laughs> um. So, uh, anyways, uh, what the hell was I gonna say? He ends up going to Hollywood. It was he was uh, the Armageddon rag ended up, ended up getting optioned in Hollywood. It all fell through, but it did land him a job. On on the Twilight Zone, which I think is a thing that a lot of people like. Did you know the, the revival Martin? Twilight Zone, the not revival. the not the one that has its own ride? The original Disneyland. one, yeah. yeah. Okay. Do this, does it still have? Is the ride still open, or is it the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy ride already? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta get everything to, is at this point. I gotta get to Florida before they shut down the Tower of Terror. Oh, I've been on it. It's super fun. Um, and he did uh, he did some different stuff like a modern day uh, 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 like Lancelot is is in modern yeah. day. It's called the Last Defender of Camelot. Have you have he you did guys... a Beauty and the Beast one? <laughs> yeah, well, he did the Beauty and the Beast TV series. Um, yeah. after well, well, that too, an Elvis time travel story. I mean, well, he can did? we talk about Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. that was his. I'm always deal. down for Beauty. We're and the skipping Beast, right huh? over Max Headroom. Good. But... <laughs> I was like, I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck Max Headroom is, by the way. I just he, gave he was up. a head, and um, <laughs> he, uh, was he a robot? I don't think I know no, this show. The, he talked weird. He, he the talked guy from um, he was Orphan like, Black, the bad boy, one of the bad boys. I'm not going to talk they didn't have <laughs> They didn't have the technology to make a 3D animated computer guy, so what they did was they just put a regular guy and, like, Square-ish makeup. It's very unsettling to look at. Yes, it's yeah. very weird. I I gave up on trying to do research on it. Um, <laughs> I and, don't like this. And anyways, it was canceled in the second season before George R. R. Martin's scripts even went into production. Now let's talk about. I'm glad you want to talk about it because I didn't really dig up a lot on it. Um, the Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it dramatic starred Ron series. Perlman as a fuck what? beast. Wait, Ron Perlman was the beast? Ron Perlman, so hot. Bring, uh, Google, uh, bring up an image. Use your Google machines right now oh to look God, up how many Lion Man Ron Perlman just giving birth to a million furry fetishes all at once. Absolutely. Oh, my God. That is Ron Perlman. I remember now. I remember this picture. And look at sexy 80 Linda Hamilton before. Oh, yeah, I'm going to fuck that beast. <laughs> Tail as old as time. Wow. Dick as hard as rock. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> he looks like a, a Harry and the Hendersons a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird does. interpretation. But in a cool cloak where he lives with other mutants in an underground society under yeah. New York City. He, and Linda yeah. Hamilton is the sexy 80s cop that use, and that helps him fight crime. He looks like uh, the cat people from Wing Commander. <laughs> <laughs> is it good? I mean, it's it has a huge cult following because of the <laughs> because of the unique setting and the heavy bestiality undertone. Now we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we can. All right, I want to get away from that as swiftly as humanly possible. Now you so see, we can, it's one thing to make uh, love to a man, but to right. be ravaged by a beast oh, is okay. a true experience. All right, a cat man. Well, I, I know we're, we're talking about horrible things, but I, I think it is interesting that whenever. The concept of George R. R. Martin maybe not being ready for something with the TV show or his characters being used this way or that way. It's just kind of hilarious that he can go back like, I've done TV before. Yeah. And it's like Max Headroom and Beauty and the Beast. So he's like, this ain't my first rodeo. So while it is kind of silly that he goes from these specific uh, uh, bestiality-based, uh, <laughs> really heavily head prosthetic-based uh, vehicles, um, you know, he because of that, he probably didn't lose his shit as much when he dealed. He dealt with HBO, so yeah. I, I think that part's kind of neat. You got him in the system. He's literally seen everything between the exactly. cons and being on. You know, he's TV like, hey man, shows. I fucked the beast suit. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, I think his experience in television gave him like an edge for dialogue and pacing that kind yes. of made Game of Thrones oh, yeah. more palatable to mainstream audiences than like yes. maybe some of the more florid fantasy properties of the time. Yeah, for right. Sure. And I've I've definitely heard that before. Uh, like one of the reviews or reasons why Game of Thrones is so good is because he, it, he is approaching it somewhat from a screenwriter perspective. Absolutely. Of course, he's done all these other 
hyper nerd fantasy shit before that. So it is kind of interesting when you blend the two. It's the perfect yeah. storm. And he's just learning like how to be a person in Hollywood early here and now in this point in his career. So that yeah. when he does end up going there, you know, I feel like a lot of times when novelists or comic book writers or whatever, when they, you know, they already have the property and they go to Hollywood and they get their shit all fucked up. But he actually right. knows how to wheel and deal and play the game. He knows, yeah. you know, what the industry is going to be like. <laughs> You know, and that's so important. I think right. why, that especially show. for a nerdy person who, you know, generally, yeah, right, uh, have sort of have a, a meek personality. But I can only imagine George Martin's like hadn't done many TV stuff for twenty years. I don't think that's true. But he just walks in and gives the guy like a big ass handshake and resting right in the palm of his hand, a little bit of coke, just to grease the wheels. <laughs> And the guys and the guy at HBO is like, we don't do this anymore. But thank you. Uh, I, will I am into this. coke. I, I love coke. <laughs> Speaking of crazy blow-filled nights, he uh, can we talk about wild cards? Let's talk. Okay, about I've never read wild cards, I, I but I, read, I really want to. I read a short story like that was like taken. It was in one of the uh, the. Uh, the um, dangerous women. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I've read like a short story. It's actually really good. My understanding is it's like it's like a fantasy thing, but with heck of t- fucking in it. Uh, I think Wildcard, if I'm remembering, I thought that was the one that was like more like an X Men situation. People have powers. Let's yes, get into it. Yes, well, it's it's world, set in World War II. But the cool, I think the coolest thing about this, okay, is that this actually came out of a uh, role playing game campaign that he played oh, nice. with a bunch of other authors and stuff. Like all of the authors that wrote, so he edited the series, but he literally quit writing for a year because he was so obsessed with this <laughs> fucking campaign. Like he was what? only thinking about it. It was um, what was it? The suit. It's Superworld? Have you guys heard of Superworld? No. I don't think so. That's, I, it was I, like an expansion. It was a superhero version of an existing RPG system that also had like a fantasy setting and a sci-fi setting. <laughs> so, so it's this, uh, it's just this crazy RPG that he ran. He was a, the game master, rather. Um, and he, it was, it was all these authors in Albuquerque. Uh, and they just were like crazy about it. And it turned into this, what is now, I believe, 23 volumes uh, work that is set around World War II, f- like fighter pilots and stuff. It's it's post World War II, right? It's post World War II, kind of like an early Marvel kind of setting, and uh, mm. an alien virus that tried to like tilt the war releases a genetic mutation virus that, uh, amongst most of the population, turns them into freaks or kills them. Uh, they are called uh, Jokers. But a 1% of the people affected gain fantastic abilities, and they're called aces. And I love that shit. <laughs> and so, that is literally yeah. a plot point in Judge's Bizarre Adventure, and that makes me really happy. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, and so it, uh, we'll have you guys back for the JoJo episode. Yeah, we'll have you guys back. Yeah! <laughs> uh, I don't want to be there. But, <laughs> oh, whatever, Chip, you love it. I can't, but, I can't be near Jennifer screaming about JoJo <laughs> too much. I Sonochino Sadame. <laughs> All right, Joe, please. <laughs> that shit is good. Um, I like JoJo. Don't get me wrong. Don't yell. At, you should yell at Tim. Make him watch JoJo with me. I named a, a World of Warcraft character JoJo. So. Yeah. That's true. Uh, <laughs> But so he's so obsessed with this campaign. Each one of his friends are making these intense characters with their own motivations, unique powers. Uh, did you get to the part in your research where his individual character in Wild Cards? No. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So George R. <laughs> R. Martin's character, who he got obsessed with, was a average boy from Bayonne, New Jersey, who grew up in post-war oh. America and gained uh, psychokinetic abilities that he manifests by turning a VW Beetle into a metal armor that he can encase himself with and Hell carry yeah. around as a shell. <laughs> God. He calls this character Thomas Tudberry, the great and powerful turtle. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to turtles. turtles. He loves I, turtles. I yeah, guess could c- for- cross over to the Teenage Ninja Turtles episode that we just did kind of vaguely almost. Come on, please work with me. But he also. was so in love with this universe and it so sparked his like imagination that he realized that he wanted to make stuff with it, but he couldn't because most of the universe was built by his friends. 
So he launched a shared universe, which is the idea that, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the permission of the group, individual authors can make their own contributions. Kind of kind of like a kind of like a comics public, you know, like Marvel Universe, DC Universe, Mm -hmm. except this is a literary universe. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty hilarious now, though, when the new books get published, because it's like the following authors had something to do with it. And it's just like fucking huge. Yeah. George R. R. Martin. And then somewhere it will say wild cards and it'll say others. Edited by George R. R. Martin, lar- largest thing <laughs> on the book cover, yeah. and the na- even the title "Wild Cards" or whatever right. the title of the book is like tiny as hell. Because and uh, exactly. this is this is a funny story. Uh, uh, one of the authors that approached the group with his contribution was a young British man who had a fantastical idea about a warrior who could traverse the world of dreams. Uh, that was Neil Gaiman. <gasps> Neil Gaiman basically pitched proto Sandman to George R. R. Martin, and George R. R. Martin turned him down, Whoa. saying that he wasn't established enough. There's no enough. turtles in it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, the death and destruction and uh, design and, and uh, it's all it's all in there. I like it. The goth chick, love the goth chick, but <laughs> beat it, you, you limey shit lord. <laughs> so in 1990, George R. R. Martin becomes frustrated with Hollywood. He's he's got these TV pilots and movie scripts that he just can't get them made. Hell. Uh, he 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 ends up. He decides I'm going to go back to books. In the summer of 1991, he starts writing a new sci-fi novel called Avalon. But after three chapters, he has a vivid idea of a boy seeing a man's beheading and finding direwolves. Stay with me now in the snow, <laughs> which would eventually become the first non-prologue chapter, of course, of a Game of Thrones. He he. This is, uh, as he puts it, the first scene, chapter one of the first book, the char- chapter where they find the direwolf pups just came to me out of nowhere. I was at work on a different novel, and suddenly I saw that scene. I, it didn't b- belong in the novel I was writing, but it came to me so vividly that I had to sit down and write it. And by that time, uh, I, by the time I did, it led to a second chapter, and the second chapter was the Catelyn chapter where Ned has just come back. That's amazing. About it took him four years to finish the actual book. It came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. He he uh, he uh, you know yeah he just he he literally like he wrote that he finished that first chapter. He writes a few more chapters. Then he's just making maps and genealogies and all this right. shit is just like flooding in and he's building a world. And you know I think what's super important, especially about him doing like a role playing game and uh, all of his past work and his love for like the Marvel universe, like like it's all comes down to world building almost over mm-hmm. anything oh, else. Oh for sure. Mm-hmm. Just creating a vivid other realm uh, that is just so real and tangible. Um, and it was heavily inspired by history, of course. I know there's a lot of talk about that. People are probably aware of that, that it's heavily based on the War of the Roses or the Wars mm-hmm. of the Roses, which was a bunch of wars um, for the control of uh, the throne of England that were fought between um, two rival branches of the royal house of Planted Plantagenet. Uh, the House of Lancaster, which was the Red Rose House, and the House of York, whose symbol was a white rose. So, uh, you know, we have crests, we have warring entities yeah. kind of backstabbing each other, doing horrible things to each other. And also, are you familiar with Ivanhoe? I never actually read no. it. No. I feel like I saw the Wishbone episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was a historical novel by Sir Walter Scott that was also incredibly influential on Game of Thrones. Uh, it had uh, colorful descriptions of tournaments and outlaws, a witch trial, and divisions between Jews and Christians. Oh. So there you go. I mean, yeah. the, uh, it, I mean, just like dealing with medieval, with medieval Europe is just, you're going to get conflict. I always, I always suspected that, like, the the whole like uh, others in the north and like the uh, Dothraki in the south or whatever was literally just the fact that if you were living in England or living in Europe at that time, you were going to get fucked by Vikings or fucked by uh, Mongols. <laughs> like at any given point, you were just like, I think we almost got writing back. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. More ass kickers. Someone's going to come hurt me <laughs> or there'll be just a plague. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh, and now we're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, if, you, if you do a little digging, the real world is always far more sinister and fucked up than than anything yeah. you could possibly fathom, you know? So even, even as mentioned before, the Red Wedding is based on an actual event that happened in um, mm-hmm. 
uh, I think Scottish history, I believe, or something like that. Those yeah. sounds about right. That level of violence. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it was uh, Clan McDonald, which I'm. I'm uh, yes, I'm a member of. I think my, grandma, my grandma's very much into it. There's a song uh, by some New Hampshire-based. Uh, oh my God. Singers, you know. I want to say Doobie Brothers. That's very wrong. No. It's something like that. It's that, like the, the Thomas second... Kincaid, the painter of light of Scottish folklore singing. Uh. Whatever that is. Um, yeah, no, there's basically a thing like, hey, man, you're our friends. Come on in. We don't hurt anyone underneath the roof of our house. And then Clan McDonald went to sleep, and the other people woke up and murdered them all. Oh, okay. It's Fuck fucked yeah. up. Um, done it. So what, was, what the hell was I going to say? I was going to say that is the second time the Doobie Brothers <laughs> have been brought up in our episode about Game of Thrones. bring it up a well, third time, then we're all going to die. They'll be summoned. No, I think that's why... Um, <laughs> They were you incepted me with it because it was Doobie Brothers. Because I mean, there are a lot of groups of things that are called Blank Brothers or Brothers Blank. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So the he blue- gives uh, his agent Kirby <laughs> McCauley uh, a the first two hundred pages and a two page story projection. Kirby McCauley also represented Stephen King. Um, he had it as a planned trilogy uh, that was going to go be Game of Thrones, Dance with Dragons, and Winds of Winter. That was actually originally <laughs> the three books he thought it was going to be. But yeah. then he, after a 1,400 manuscript pages, he decided, uh, oh, it's going to have to be uh, four books instead, and then later six books. Um, he imagined it as two linked trilogies to one long story, which is yeah. a, a, a called A Song of Ice and Fire, of course. Um, so I guess, you know, it was like one trilogy would be like the ice and one trilogy would be the fire. He also, uh, he liked using song in his titles. He had a different, um, oh God, let me try to find this. He had a couple of books that were, um, has this, uh, he had a song for, uh, for Lyra. He had songs, the dead men sing. He was very obsessed with songs. And then of Mm -hmm. course, uh, the ice and the fire. Martin saw the struggle of the cold others and the fiery dragons as one possible meaning for ice and fire. But also it was a poem by Robert Frost called fire and ice. I, and obviously this is an audio podcast, but uh, our guests can see, uh, through the webcam that well you are dripping with sweat all the time. I don't want to say anything. I am you waterfall of sweat. You yeah. are the Nile River just pouring I, out of your entire self. This is I am covered. <laughs> I'm I hate the summer. By the way, I I like the winds of winter. I love the winter time. I hate the summertime. I have sweating issues. And it's like Yeah, I wasn't sure if this was a normal thing or where he's like he gets into it. I respect I'm just really oh, yeah. excited. He's like I'm a gospel amped. preacher. I'm amped. I'm absolutely Amped. I, I ate a steaming hot slice of pizza on the way over here. I could not feel more <laughs> disgusting. Well, you do live in New York. So wow. the book, the book is it, it's received well. Uh, I looked up a lot of earlier. Oh wait, do you have more before? Would you mind if I? Well, do you guys have it up or I can read it? The song, "The Fire and Ice" by Robert Frost. Oh. Yeah, we have it up. Jesse, yeah. you wanna sure, sure, sure. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I'll, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know of enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. Damn. Yeah, it's a fucking good poem, man. <laughs> I, it's, just, it's just one of us being like, man, what if everyone just fucking died? <laughs> died twice. <laughs> Like the, my idea behind this poem was, what if you died two different ways, and the ways were linked, kind of, but one was honest. They both sucked a lot yeah, in different the, ways. And one would say they're opposites. Yeah. Mm. His, earlier, poet money now. his earlier draft, fire and like a big, I don't know, elephant or something, just like poked you right in the gut, man. Was... Fire and chair. <laughs> Some say by fire, others by type 2 diabetes because of the preponderance of carbohydrates in the Western diet. <laughs> I've read the uh, original pitch for the Game of Thrones, oh, really? the whole thing, and it is so banana pancakes comparatively. <laughs> like when you think about Game of Thrones now and sort of how we, we've said over, like it kind of ruins things for you, like the, the history, the world building, the lived inness, the way the world just feels like it goes on even if you're not reading it. When you just kind of read his initial pitch, it just seems like another fantasy ass fantasy show, like book. I mean, that's why he had to just keep adding on books. Like, yeah. it just kept growing and growing. It's like, oh, wait, what if I put more pages but made it really goddamn good? <laughs> and the publisher was like, hell yes, that's hell yeah. good. <laughs> hell yeah, more books means more money, money. I'm an agent, yeah. and that's what I was taught in school. Well, he talks about it. <laughs> 
he talks about how um, he want he you know he added the li- uh, the lineage and he added the maps and stuff because he wanted to recapture that uh, you know Tolkien energy the fact the idea that there was right. more thought put into the world than what you're even seeing on the page right uh, he talks about in how when he was in college the posters of Lord of the Rings that you would see were never the characters they were never like the settings it was always just a big ass map. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean nothing gets me more hyped about a fantasy novel than like a really detailed ass map. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. was like a, shit. A, a mountain with a really fucked up name. You're like, yeah, Ooh, what's sure. that about? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go there. That's but, where I, oh. <laughs> but unlike Tolkien, uh, uh, he wanted to make the uh, a less defined, sort of easily recognized line between good and evil. And I think that that's really what propelled the book, besides also just being very willing to kill off any main character whatsoever. I think that really put the book apart from other fantasy novels. He always said, uh, the, the, here's, here's some quotes from him about this. Uh, he says, I think the battle between good and evil is fought largely within the individual human heart by the decisions that we make. It's not like evil dresses up in black clothing and, you know, they're really ugly. And uh, another uh, quote from him about, um, oh, well, this is more about also how we have chapters called, you know, Ned. We have chapters called uh, Catelyn, right? And, and that's clear, you know, mm-hmm. clearly the Starks who we're kind of rooting for. But then also all of a sudden you're seeing chapters from the point of view of what we were painted to think of as like the villain, right? Some Lannisters right. Mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and he uh, says about this, uh, having multiple viewpoints is crucial to the grayness of the character. Characters. You have to be able to see the struggle from both sides because real human beings in a war have all these processes of self-justification, telling ourselves why what we're doing is the right thing. And I think that that just goes so, so far, that goes such a long way when it comes to reading something and getting invested in, in a world and characters. When when I feel like it kind of, especially with all of the, the works we've seen in the past, you know, Star Wars and uh, things like that, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. get bored of just the flat good versus evil scenario scenario you know other people have done it better by this point anyways right so just giving us justification and motivation for all i was just gushing about the uh castlevania uh netflix series um <laughs> earlier before this recording and uh but i do have to say like they give dracula like a fucking killer motivation you know and 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 they do so as well in uh in in so many of the characters in game of thrones also though you know um like characters like Jamie Lannister, where you mm-hmm. fucking hate his him, you hate him so right. much in the very right. in the beginning of the book, and you know at, in later books, uh, you uh, all of a sudden it's just very great. You don't know, you know, right. you have to keep reminding yourself what he did in the first book right. to like try to be like remember now he's like a total piece of shit. He like pushed a fucking kid out of a window. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 so interesting because when people would ask us what who our favorite character was. You know, people who only watch the show is like, well, it feels weird, but well, it's gonna it's gonna make sense later. But Jamie, Jamie's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing better than a good guy is a sympathetic bad guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is, so. This is actually a question that I was super excited to ask you guys. Is uh, you know, I hadn't really read any fantasy since uh, Tolkien when I was a kid, and the fact that this is such a big property. Is it because that Game of Thrones is like truly a standout, like quality breakout fantasy novel, or is it just the fantasy novel that was the most palatable to everyone else? No, it's really goddamn good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's upsetting. Um, I used fantasy as fantasy as like a pejorative for some other things, but it's, there's just something that he captures that you really don't. Get with other stuff. Even you know people who are trying to whole cloth copy what he did. <laughs> yeah, trying to ape his his exactly his, his grim dark sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. Even our some of my favorite current authors. Since you know what with Amazon, you know uh, Kindle and yeah. things like that, people are reading constantly now. Uh, in in tons of new authors that are getting a lot of day. Even them who you know say, hey, I have this prologue or, or the you know, whatever the acknowledgement from yeah. George R. R. Martin. He he took a look at it. He said, it's good. You know, it still isn't like that. And it's hard to nail down all of it, but pretty much the whole like good versus evil shades of gray. And, um, he writes really well about feeling. food. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the food. And honestly, yeah, food. he writes really well about food and ankle pain in a way that I, a fat guy, I'm like, 
this a fat guy wrote this. But also, <laughs> like as an as an Uber nerd, like he could write a great sex scene. Like I had to think about him just to like not be boning up too hard on the subway. Because he went to all those goddamn <laughs> fuck party conventions in the seventies. Yeah, he he knows from experience. It is it is weird when you're like thinking of George R. Martin at home in the early nineties writing a, a sex scene between <laughs> a huge beef boy and a thirteen year old girl. It's like all right, that was a little strange. But, but yeah, like again, like thinking about the style of it, though, it's funny because we've had to. I, I've read through Game of Thrones at, twice at least. Yeah, I think and I've now. read through it three times. Um, and it's huh. funny because we did like a book club for our podcast. So like, uh, you know, going back and like having to read for the book club. Like sometimes I'm like, man, I don't really want to read this right now. And then I start reading it, and I'm like, oh, this is so good though. Right. Like and, I wouldn't be in the mood for it, but I'd get sucked in like every time. And one of the things that is a somewhat consistent story between me and my buddies is we liked Game of Thrones because it's good, but then we loved Game of Thrones because of the seeming behind the, the scenes sort of prophecies and yes. fan theories you can come up with. So before the release of, let's say, season three or four, you know, Jennifer and I and, and her friends would get together and drink a million beers by the pool <laughs> and he's like yo yo what is this though yeah you know, and do like and, Game of Thrones theory time right and, very and, fun. and like very early Jon Snow theories which are almost entirely based off the first book so we were like no 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 no, don't tell me it's a spoiler like no well it hasn't happened like, yet it's not actually, and everything from this theory is from the first book and then you, you say it and like no shit and yeah. you know stuff like that it just hooks you in so good uh, so yeah, I, to answer your question, I would say it is so good. I think the the fourth and the fifth book take a little bit yeah. more from the reader yeah. to get into after reading them several times through. Well, with, I oh, think they're better than my first read, mm, but okay. the first three are you know I think are holistically good for. You know, all sorts of yeah. People, yeah. What happened with those books is like all of a sudden all eyes were on him, and he had to make sure that it all fit together. And like that's what's breaking him because before. Oh yeah, yeah. I like, can't imagine the pressure. Well, the, the <laughs> well before he kinda... could just say like, "And Aegon, son of Billy Bob, son of Giggle Gigglepuss," and then yeah. like, but then now that all these people are focusing on, they're like, uh, "But wait, in a Duncan Egg story, you said Gigglepuss was actually reigning three years before right. the events." I've said. <laughs> well, he does have like these pretty much fan people who uh, rein in all of his lore um, who know more about it than him now. So by later books, they're getting thank yous and things yeah. like that. But I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that sort of that is hurting to this day, the release schedule is the fact that there's supposed to be a five year in world break between book three and book four. Ah. And then that didn't happen. So he's been playing catch up ever since. Yeah. Book four. Gotcha. Deep down, like, I don't know if he'll ever finish it because I, I, reading what I did about him and about how he wanted a bigger world, he wanted to, like, you know, feel the excitement and he wanted to, like, get some positive attention for his work. That's his life now. He did it. There's, yeah. like, you know, he's only getting older. He's getting invited to travel the world. He has more money than Jesus. He owns a DeLorean. Yeah, he owns well, his own well, movie yeah, theater. Yeah, what more can he want? I think like, he owns wolves or something. Like, imagine <laughs> having everything you've ever wished for, but yeah. everyone on Earth just wants you to go back to your stinky-ass home in front of your old-ass DOS computer and just type <laughs> more things about dragons. Yeah. Well, I, I, my two favorite quotes from him I'm sure his home smells subject. nice. I'm sorry. <laughs> are fuck you uh and i i want this book to be great 50 years from now yeah not five years from right. now so he is now focused on his legacy yeah. which is an interesting place to be i think from oh, yeah. such a prolific writer who for sure has a legacy but he you know is taking his time to swing for the fences so to speak i guess you'd say um he he Wants to be up there in the pantheon. I mean, I, I think he's there. Right, right. <laughs> but I understand the pressure of like right. needing to like really finish yeah. it out. Although, yeah. as of today, July twelfth, two thousand twenty seventeen, um, I said the year wrong. But the uh, there's a, a theory going around the net that he has finished it. Whoa! All right. He's just, he's just ra waiting on. Something. I feel like I've literally heard this every Are year. Are you saying since he's... when did the last one come out? Two thousand eleven. Yeah. 
we got married. Got married. Yeah. Like he's going to drop it like Beyonce. Like up, Beyonce, so. he's just going to one day just be like, oh, by the way, the book's out. And then just like fuck <laughs> up. And they are. There's five more. It's great. And here's my fifth Duncan Egg story. That's right. Two more Duncan Egg stars. <laughs> he does fuck old Nan. <laughs> so I feel like I could talk about this for another like three hours, but we should probably wrap it up. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about uh, Game of Thrones, uh, uh, about George R. R. Martin, anything like that? Uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, looking at the Hugo Awards that year, because I was really curious about what Game of Thrones was before it was HBO's Game of Thrones. Uh, he lost the best novel category to uh, Kim Stanley Robinson for uh, Blue Mars, which is the third of the uh, Mars trilogy that is actually really good, like another classic sci-fi story mm-hmm. that uh, starts out as like a sci-fi story about uh, colonists going to Mars. But then as it's terraformed, the fact that Mars is just such a bonkers uh, geographical place, it becomes a fantasy journey because huh. Mars plus like trees is this incredibly alien, insurmountable landscape. Hmm. It's actually really well. Like if he's going to lose to someone, it's like it's good that it wasn't just like the heaving of fallopia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the he did win the Hugo Award in 1997 for best novella for uh, it was called The Blood of the Dragon. And it was essentially just the uh, Daenerys sections of Game of Thrones. So all that <laughs> Mongol humping teen sex. Definitely was a win for the judges. You're like, hell yeah. You can actually look up the cover of Asimov magazine from 1996 where Blood of the Dragon first appeared. And it's super weird seeing like fantasy novel version of Daenerys surrounded by like, like this thing that you know so intimately as a pop culture thing. Like its first interpretation as generic fantasy hot chick is just really yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, a lot of their original covers w- were a mix between generic fantasy and sort of a little more, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, button and laced up, maybe uh, Renaissance esque mm, yeah. stylings as opposed to full on, you know, heathen titty girl with yeah. the spear situation. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Thank you so much, Tim and Jennifer, for joining us. Yeah, hey, thank ha- you for having yeah. us. Uh, uh, it's a lot to, to get over there, especially just for George R. Martin. If you guys ever want to chat about some of the uh, deeper stuff on uh, the books or anything like that, let us know. We're always down to, uh, yeah. to clown. That'd be great. Say. And again, it's, uh, it's Drunks and Dragons. It's Cast of Thrones. Yes. And if you go head on over to geeklyinc.com, yes. there's all sorts of other stuff there. Um, but the main two podcasts that we care about are Drunks and Dragons. It's a Dungeons and Dragons 5th <laughs> uh, edition podcast. It stars uh, wildly hilarious Etten. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, which, fan favorite. Fan favorite. And then Dude, the Drunks and Dragons fan base have been so nice to yeah, us. Hey, we're not really, used to it. It's been really we're amazing. not used to it. It was so much fun doing that show. We had, we had well, such a blast. You guys were amazing on it, and I'm not just saying that. As I said last time, after uh, we turned all the, everything off, uh, you, you did good. You did good. Ah, thank you. And our fans usually just tweet at us like, "Hey, lizard boy, where's your sweat, buddy?" <laughs> but your fans have been like, "Oh my god, thank you so much for the delightful hours of entertainment." Yeah, yeah. I think or, we have some good ones. Yeah, we have some good fans. Yeah. No, uh, we, we we sometimes settle on the bad ones because we're we're bad people, um, <laughs> but holistically the numbers work out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, th- thank you so much. Um, Again, plugging it, uh, Drunks and Dragons, uh, Cast of Thrones. We've got, uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitch at Holdenator. So, Tim, you, 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 well, is that just Geekly Inc. as well? Or Yeah, uh, it, but it's pretty much just me. Uh, every, so, <laughs> Hello, stream. Yeah, twitch.tv slash Geekly Inc. Uh, I stream there every now and again. Uh, and then we do the li- our live podcast recordings and stuff like yes. that. Yes. Um, Oh, you can uh, follow me on uh, Twitter at Best Jake Young. If you are listening to this, uh, hopefully there's still time to go to the uh, Drawfee live show at the YouTube space. Uh, probably tickets are still available. Uh, that's in New York City. Uh, love to see it. Let us know that uh, you were you, you listened to this dumb show. Awesome. Um, <laughs> all right. Anything else to plug, guys? Uh, I guess our Twitters. Yeah. I'm at Tim Lanning. I'm at Jennifer Cheek. I'm at Holdenators. I'm good. At Best Jake Young. Have a good one, everybody. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.
I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. It's time to stop making excuses. The peace of mind you get after a colonoscopy is worth it. It's the best way to prevent and detect one of the deadliest cancers. In fact, your doctor can remove precancerous polyps during the procedure if necessary. That's right, before it even turns to cancer. No buts about it. Get a colonoscopy at 45 and follow up every 10 years or as recommended by your doctor. Find a location or schedule now at avera.org colon.